My name's Katie Pesson, and I'm the executive minister here at Windsor Road. And today I have the privilege to bring uh, the message this morning. Before we get to the scripture, I want to tell you something that you might not know about me. Um, I'm an evangelist. <clears throat> I had a life-changing experience several years ago that I cannot help but share with others. Yes, I'm Katie Pesson, and I'm an evangelist for Espresso Royale's Ginger Dragon Tea. <laughs> Several years ago, I was leading worship with the band on a Sunday morning, and I had a cold, you know, like that cold that hangs out like right here. And I was like, man, I'm going to lose my voice. I am not going to make it through the morning. So Katie Ansel, who was one of our tech volunteers, suggested that I try a Ginger Dragon Tea from Espresso Royale. I thought, oh, it sounds nice. Ginger, honey, what's not to love when you're sick? I'm desperate. At least maybe it'll make my throat stop hurting. Church family, that morning, I had my first experience with ginger dragon tea. I, don't, I can't explain it. There's something almost like mystical about that combination of ginger and honey and lemon. I sang that entire morning with not a scratch in my throat. I was healed. <laughs> Ever since then, I've been a committed disciple of Ginger Dragon. When I'm sick, Ginger Dragon is the first thing I go to. When someone else is sick, I tell them the good news of the gospel of Ginger Dragon. Even if they don't believe that it can help them, I urge them, cast your cares on Ginger Dragon and see how Ginger Dragon can care for you. Ginger Dragon tea changed my life, and it can change yours. I'm Katie Pesson, and I'm an evangelist for Ginger Dragon. <laughs> okay, but for real, try it. It's very good. Is anybody else an evangelist this morning? Anyone else have something you swear by, something you can't help but tell other people about? Is it like a hair product or a makeup product or a workout regimen or a diet? or essential oils, or a sports team? What is it that you are an evangelist for? Because the truth is, we're all evangelists. We are wired to want to tell other people about our experiences. And we're wired to want others to have the same experiences that we do. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew that has been the foundational understanding of evangelism for Christians for thousands of years. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Matthew 28 can be found on page 835 of the Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible to call your own, you just put your name in front of that Bible and take it home with you. That'll be our gift to you this morning. While you're turning, before we read that, you need to understand why the Gospel of Matthew was written and what Matthew had been doing as he came to the end of his Gospel here. Matthew's audience was primarily Jewish Christians who were coming under attack for claiming that Jesus was the Messiah. Pharisees and other Jewish religious scholars were pressing hard on them over what they considered heresy. Matthew knew that as these new Christians were coming in the face of resistance and unbelief, their own faith was wavering. In response to this, he wrote the book of Matthew as a manual for equipping and teaching Jewish Christians about the truth of Jesus. 
And in the final sentences of the gospel, Matthew completes this manual by giving us Christ's final command to his disciples. Let's read that together. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. This passage is commonly called the Great Commission. It's the last command of Jesus to his disciples. Jesus is, in essence, saying, your apprenticeship is over. My earthly ministry is complete, and now something new is going to take its place. Here's the ball. Run with it. And for the centuries since Christ has left the earth, the scripture has been the heart of the mission of the church. And what is his command? Make disciples. Go, baptize, teach. Then make disciples. Go, baptize, teach. Matthew included it to be understood as the central mission for all believers in Christ for all times. Our job is to make disciples. Our job is evangelism. Now, before you start to squirm, because we're talking about evangelism, you can relax. As I mentioned in my Friday email, this will not be another do more, try harder, we're all going to bring five friends to church next Sunday kind of sermon. I want to look at the call to evangelism in a new way. I want to look first at the command Jesus gave us, his command to us, and then at our problem with the command, because I think we have a problem with the command. So the command Jesus gave, our problem, and then Jesus' response to our problem. The command, the problem, the response. So let's talk first about the command. As we've said, the command was, make disciples. Well, what does that mean? In the first century, this concept of discipleship was pretty common. Jewish rabbis, Greek philosophers, and even pagan cults had disciples. A disciple really was just anybody who sat under the teaching of another person, submitted themselves to that person's teaching and leadership. Often, once a disciple had learned all they could from their teacher, they would go and start their own little group and have their own disciples. But Jesus here is giving them a unique way of thinking about discipleship. What's unique is that Jesus' disciples were not to make the disciples of themselves, but of him. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and tells them to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, he's declaring that they are to make more followers of himself, not of them. Jesus is saying that he has come to inaugurate the kingdom of God, and he wants his followers to make it their mission to bring more men and women into the kingdom of God. He's telling the disciples to go and make more of what Jesus has made of them. 
we also see that his desire was salvation for all. Not just the Jews, not just his disciples, but all. That's the command to go. In his ministry, Jesus broke all kinds of cultural barriers. Gender, ethnic, religious, social, economic. And here again, he underlines the importance of this to his disciples. Go to all nations. Throughout scripture, we see this recurring theme of all nations. The Gospel of Matthew actually begins with a genealogy where Matthew connects Jesus to the line of Abraham. And it was Abraham to whom God had first said, in your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So here in chapter 28, to bookend his book, Matthew tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the blessing to all nations. Therefore, crossing cultural barriers is an integral part of the Great Commission. And how do we make disciples as we go? Well, Jesus tells us that too. We baptize and we teach. Baptism is the first thing someone does when they confess faith in Christ. Baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is an expression of solidarity with Jesus and a commitment to the community of faith. It's the place for someone to publicly declare that he or she has become a lifelong adherent to Jesus. It's the ceremony of entrance into the family of God, the same way a wedding is a ceremony of two people joining their lives together as one. So once a person has believed and is baptized, naturally the next thing they need is to be taught about how to live as a follower of Jesus. It's likely that this phrase here gives us away Matthew's core reason for writing his gospel, to teach new believers about Christ and his kingdom. Between the narratives of Jesus' interaction with other people and the five collections of sermons we find, Matthew gives us one of the most comprehensive um, understandings of Christ, a complete picture of his words and actions. In fact, throughout a lot of church history, Matthew has been used as kind of a catechism or a teaching tool to teach people about what it means to live for Christ. In fact, on the back of your um, outlines today, I included for you just a brief summary of the chapters of Matthew, how they're outlined, and then there's a chart that gives an overview of how you might think about breaking up Matthew to help you understand what Matthew's trying to teach us about Christ. So we go, we baptize, we teach, and then Jesus wraps up this command with this promise. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The task he's given us will not be done in our strength alone. He will go with us. Okay, so we've talked about the command. Make disciples, go, baptize, teach. Make disciples, go, baptize, teach. Got it? Okay, great. It's really simple, right? So why is it so hard? Like, what is our problem with it? Am I the only person in the room that like starts to cringe a little bit when we talk about evangelism? Does anybody else feel their stomach just tightening a little bit when it comes up as a topic of the sermon for the day? 
I'm preaching on it, and I got kind of nervous about it. In fact, as I started this message, I was thinking about this. What's our problem with evangelism? And I thought, maybe I'll just give like an inspiring what-if message. You know, what if the thousand of us who call Windsor Road home would just flood our community with the love of Jesus and everywhere we go, like, leave tracks and talk about Jesus and pray for everyone we see? Like, let's just flood the community for Jesus. Or, like, what if the thousand of us at Windsor Road would just bring one person to Christ this year? Just one. Just one amazing little person. We'd, like, double the size of our church in a year if we all just brought one person to Christ. But I got kind of stuck. Of course, yeah, it would be pretty cool if in a year our church doubled in size because every one of us had the privilege to walk someone over the line of faith. That would be pretty cool. And yeah, I think it would probably change our community forever if everywhere we went we were intentional about sharing the love of Jesus. I believe that. But it felt heavy. Something in that way of thinking about the Great Commission just kind of made me feel deflated more than inspired. And so acknowledging this weight, I went back to the passage again. And this time I noticed something. Verse 17 says this, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Do you see that? Some doubted. Right there, in the middle of a worship service, they were singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I can see you now. They could literally see him with their eyes. They're worshiping, and some doubted. These were the disciples. They had, like, talked and ate and walked with him, and they had doubt. Can you believe that? They'd watched him heal, They'd watched him bring people back from the dead. They'd watched him teach with authority. They were present at his baptism when the voice of God came down from heaven and said, this is my son. They stood by as he was crucified. As the last breath left his body, they saw him die. And now, in this moment, they're looking at him with their eyes alive again. And in that moment, they doubted. Is it possible any of us are carrying doubt with us this morning? And is it possible that just maybe our doubt is the real reason that we're hesitant to share the good news of Jesus? I'll own that. I'm carrying doubt this morning. What do I do with the fact that God allowed my friend to die from cancer? She had three kids. She was kind and creative. Her husband was a pastor. And God allowed her death. What do I do with that? And every once in a while, my kids ask me a question about God that just kind of blows my mind. Does this happen to anyone else? And I'm explaining to them this mystery that is God. And I'm thinking, this just sounds crazy. Like, this makes no sense. Has that ever happened to you? I have doubts. A couple of weeks ago, Kevin Jackson, one of our elders, spoke about our identity 
and how sometimes we combine two identities that don't belong together. We combine our identity with Christ with our other identities, like our nationality or our political identity. And to be real, when I think about the damage that's been done to our credibility as a church by the inappropriate conflating of those things, I have doubt. This past semester, um, I'm in seminary right now, and I took a class about uh, racial righteousness and justice. And one of my assignments was to read a book by an African-American pastor and author. James Cohn was his name, and he wrote this book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And I read as he explored this connection between American Christianity and racism. In it, he said, suffering naturally gives way to doubt. How can one believe in God in the face of such horrendous suffering as slavery, segregation, and the lynching tree? How can I invite someone to become one of us when we are so broken? There have been horrible things done in the name of Jesus. How can I ask someone else to come get on board with us and join the family of God? You know, Matthew's audience was experiencing doubt as well. The Jewish Christians faced persecution, false prophets that were trying to confuse them, and they had a great need for more leaders to share the burden of discipling people. They were facing, as one author put it, the hostility of their society and the apparent inadequacy of the church to transform the situation for good. I resonate with that sometimes. Do you? Are you carrying any doubt with you this morning? Are you struggling to believe that God is a God who provides when you've been without a job for too long? Are you having a hard time believing that God loves you when no matter how hard you pray, the cancer spreads? Do you have trouble proclaiming a God that redeems and renews and restores when your marriage looks like it's not going to make it? Are you, like me, sometimes struggling to reconcile what Jesus says about the kingdom of God with a people who can't even seem to get along with each other, much less the rest of the world? This, then, I think, is our problem with evangelism. We are hesitant to share with others what our own hearts doubt. We're hesitant to tell others but we're having a hard time believing ourselves. When we're wrestling with uncertainty about God and his promises, it feels disingenuous to share them with someone else. When our hearts are heavy, we're reluctant to proclaim the easy and light burden of Christ. And to make matters worse, many of us have been burdened with a deep shame about our doubt and our hesitancy to share the gospel. Here are some sentences I read this week as I studied the Great Commission. As long as unreached people groups exist, we disobey the Great Commission. If we aren't evangelizing, perhaps we just haven't really experienced him. 
most of modern Christendom falls short. These are real sentences uttered by real theologians and pastors about our understanding of the Great Commission. Do you see what we've done? We've taken what was supposed to be a life-giving gift and turned it into just another rule to follow. Just another measuring stick to hold up to the validity of our faith. At the end of the day, one more way we can disappoint God. When we add this heavy shame to the already heavy weight of our doubt, is it any wonder that many of us cringe when we hear this word, evangelism? Well, what do we do with this doubt, with this shame? We've heard Christ's command to go and tell. We've acknowledged we have a problem with going and telling. Let's look now at Jesus' response. Let's look back at the passage, starting in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all of commanded you and behold them with the eyes of the age. Do you see what he says about their doubt? Nothing at all. He blew right past it and told them, go make disciples. What is that about? Was he ignoring it? Did he not care? And while we're talking about this, I have another problem. Why did Matthew end his gospel this way? Wasn't his entire point to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah? Wouldn't it have been like a better ending to say, and because of all the signs and wonders, everyone believed, so you should too. The end. That would be a better ending if I were writing it. But that's not what happens. Matthew ends this treatise on the truth of Jesus as the Son of God by including that some doubted. So why did Matthew end the gospel this way? And why did Jesus jump right over their doubt and give this command? Well, perhaps Jesus didn't ignore their doubt. Maybe he gave them the way to overcome it. Make disciples. Go. Baptize. Teach. Maybe Jesus knew that in moments of doubt, what we need most is to declare what we know to be true. Perhaps Matthew knew that some doubted because he himself was one of the doubters. Maybe the entire writing of his gospel was an exercise for Matthew in faith in the midst of his doubt. How could his faith not be strengthened as he remembered everything Jesus had done, the healings, the miracles, the authority he taught with? How can Matthew's heart not be encouraged as he wrote down the Old Testament prophecies that he saw Jesus fulfill with his own eyes? So maybe Jesus didn't ignore their doubt when he told them to go make disciples. Maybe he told them what to do with it. Make disciples, go, baptize, teach. 
Maybe telling people about Jesus is just as much for our hearts as it is for the people we're telling. This is today's big idea. What we need most at moments of doubt is to say out loud what we know to be true. What we need most at moments of doubt is to say out loud what we know to be true. When I doubt God's goodness, I need to tell someone of a time I've seen him be good. When I have doubt and how God could work through a church full of such broken and sinful people, I need to tell the story of how Jesus used liars, cheaters, deniers, and murderers to build a church that's lasted centuries. When I doubt Jesus' ability to redeem the irredeemable, I need to tell the story of how he redeemed me. So are you doubting this morning? Maybe the word from Jesus to the disciples is for you today. Make disciples. Go. Baptize. Teach. Maybe you're here today and your doubts have held you back from saying, I'm all in, Jesus. I will be your disciple. I will give you my life. Maybe today you need to say, like the Father in Mark's gospel, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe today is when you choose to step across the line, doubts and all, and just see what Jesus can do with them. Or maybe you're here and you do believe, but you haven't declared your commitment to Christ in baptism. Maybe you're holding off because maybe like me, you sometimes struggle with, do I want to be one of these people? Or maybe you think you have to wait to be baptized until you're a better Christian. Well, that's not what Jesus taught about baptism at all. Baptism is for all who want to follow Jesus. It's the place we start. It's where we first declare out loud, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So maybe you need to come, doubts and all, and declare that to your church family and just see what Jesus does. In a few moments, the band is going to come back up and we're going to sing. And after the songs, we're going to have an opportunity this morning for anyone who's ready and wants to, to be baptized. Maybe today's the day. Some of us in this room might be in a season of doubt or we've been hesitant to share our faith. Or maybe we've just never done it before and we're afraid that we're going to do it wrong. My challenge to those of us in these places is to find someone and tell them something. If you're doubting, say out loud just one thing that you do know is true. If you've never shared your faith before, find someone and just tell them one thing God's done for you. If you're really nervous about how your words could affect the, you know, their eternal destiny or whatever, maybe find someone in your small group or someone that you already know is a Christian and then you just won't need to worry about that. But find someone and tell them something. When I talk about what God's done in me, my faith is strengthened. For me, I think about when I was a child. My mom was a single mom and often there just wasn't enough. And so sometimes I have the opportunity to tell people how I saw Jesus provide exactly what we needed in situation after situation. 
Or sometimes I like to tell people about a struggle I had in college when I was really wrestling to believe that Jesus loved me. I mean, I know, like, he's God. He has to love everyone. But, like, does he really love me? And I started keeping a journal of all the ways he showed me. And I had a whole page of, like, specific individual incidents where God told me he loved me. When I talk about that, you better believe my heart is encouraged. When I talk about what Jesus has done for me, you better believe my faith is strengthened. We need to share our experiences about Jesus, and the world needs to hear them. So just pick someone and start. For some of us, maybe we need to take advantage of an opportunity to help someone grow in their faith in Christ. Maybe we have someone that needs to learn about how to walk the life with Jesus, and our challenge is to teach them. Maybe it's using Matthew. Maybe it's using the outline to walk through the book with them and explain what does it mean to be a disciple. Because this command is for everyone. It's for all of us. It's interesting to me that in Matthew, the two times the disciples doubt, they also worship. The first time is when Peter is walking on water and he doubts and starts to sink, right? And Jesus picks him up and puts him back in the boat. And after that is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark Allen Powell says, Worship brings doubting faith to life. Doubt prevents worship from being self-assured and vain. Doubt can propel us to worship, and worship can strengthen us in our doubt. By the way, those disciples who were doubting on the mountain, every single one of them spent the rest of their life declaring the truth of Jesus. They spent the rest of their lives in service to the gospel. All but one of them was martyred for their faith. Through the efforts of those first doubting followers, the gospel has spread all over the world, and the church continues today, thousands of years later. When we come to Jesus with our doubts, and allow him to transform them and use us anyway, it can change the world. So the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing some songs. As we sing about who Jesus is, let's allow this to be a practice of telling the good news of Jesus. Following the two songs, we'll have a time of baptism. If today is the day you need to declare doubts and awe, your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, come and be baptized. If today you're ready to tell him, I'm all in, I want to follow you, doubts and all, come and be baptized. It's okay if you didn't bring clothes, by the way, to get wet in. We have some shorts and t-shirts back there for you. Just during the songs, if today's the day, I'll meet you down at that ramp and we'll go backstage and we'll get you baptized today. I can baptize you, or if you're sitting with someone else who's already been baptized, they can come with you and baptize you too. When Jesus gave us this command, this great commission, he knew that we would need to tell people about him as much as the world needs to hear about him. What do you need to remember about Jesus today? 
What do you need to declare about Jesus today? Maybe just to one other person, maybe to your whole church family this morning. What is it? So I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then maybe we'll have some baptisms. Let's pray.